Hey there, folks. We're kicking off today's episode with a cup of tea from the Nepal Tea Collective. Nepal Tea is a social enterprise based in New York that distributes the freshest organically grown teas to different parts of the world directly from smallholder farmers in the beautiful country of, you guessed it, Nepal. You can join us for a cup of tea and be part of the global impact they're creating by visiting nepalteacollective.com. That's nepalteacollective.com. <laughs> Yikes, my cup of tea is already getting cold. So why don't you join me and hop into today's episode? Here in the boardroom, we're insanely curious about the psychology and process of building truly amazing products and services. So this week, our search for incredible builders finds us in a unique masterclass as we speak to Narek Verdian. Narek is a global tech executive with over 20 years of experience recruiting and managing international tech teams that use disruptive technologies to drive product growth and exceptional customer experiences. Most notable is his present role as the Chief Technology Officer at Glovo, arguably the coolest delivery app on your phone right now. Narek speaks to us about his Armenian heritage and takes us down a fascinating journey of his tech-rich upbringing that launched him into the world of technology. He shares lessons that range from creating culture champions within organizations to adapting to change processes and the value of simplicity in innovation. Narek gives us his blueprint for building disruptive and sticky tech platforms featuring best practices on team building, problem solving, dealing with competition, and how to make yourself irreplaceable. If you are a tech enthusiast looking to learn from a seasoned expert in leveraging the right technology to apply in your work, then this is the episode for you. If you are an entrepreneur or manager navigating through the bumps of building and managing a team, Narek shares some valuable insights into creating an enabling environment for your team to thrive. If you have ever used Glovo, which I'm sure most of you have, then hop into the episode and learn about the man behind the technology that you have in your app library. Now, with that said, let's hop into the episode. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are, whoever you are, welcome to the Boardroom Banter podcast. It's another Tuesday and we're excited to be with you guys in the boardroom. You know what that, that means. It's a Tuesday. We've got a fantastic guest lined up for you today. Who on earth could we be speaking to? Uh, you know, Boniface, I, I have a friend the other day who was telling me, and, and for real now, like a real person, this isn't just uh, podcasters saying, someone was telling me the other day, but someone was actually telling me the other day that they cannot ever guess who we're going to bring on next. It's always a surprise. And so this one is going to be great because we've got an, an exceptional gentleman who is actually the brain behind one of our favorite tools. So you've probably used this tool. You probably just did yesterday or the day before or sometime this week or last month. Uh, so it's going to be a really awesome chat. My name is Sean Karanja and I'm joined in the boardroom with the fantastic Mr. Boniface Omina. Bonnie, how's everything going? Definitely good to be back, Sean. It's been, the month has been picking up really well. And so has our engagement with our audience, our engagement with our guests for that matter as well. And per usual, Yuri has his way of, you know, funneling in some amazing guests on here. And 
you know, for those joining us for the first time, Tuesday is when we do our guest episodes and Fridays is when we unpack, you know, some of the conversations and lessons that we've learned from our guests, from our, you know, everyday experiences. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into Founders Friday later on in the week. Uh, Sean, let them, let them know who we have seated right here on this virtual boardroom that we have. Great, Bonnie. In today's episode, we're talking to Narek Verdian, who is currently the CTO, meaning Chief Technology Officer at, drumroll, 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 at Glovo. Glovo, <laughs> Glovo has contributed to the ease, I would say, of sitting at home and getting what you need to get into your house, delivered at your doorstep. I don't know about you, Boniface, but during COVID, I mean, if there was one app that was on my home screen, um, literally Glovo was saving my life. I didn't have to go anywhere. I was, you know, chilling at home. Uh, you know, some of us struggle to gain weight. So it, it was a real, it was a real booster in that sense. Um, and so Narek, it's, it's awesome to have you in the boardroom today. Just a bit about Glovo in, in case anyone doesn't know what Glovo is. So Glovo is actually based in Spain and they're an on-demand delivery platform currently operating in over 20 countries. So they were founded in 2015, which actually isn't so long ago, considering the growth that they've had. I mean, 5.1 million active customers, you know, over 30 million app installs and, uh, you know, annually, they're looking at around 100 million orders. So 100 million times someone went on the phone and said, I want something from this shop or this restaurant delivered straight to my doorstep. So Narek is one of the 3,000 employees strung across the world. And we're going to be having an awesome chat with him, just unpacking what his career has looked like, how he builds um, things like high-performing teams, high-quality uh, products, and just digging into, you know, what, what really got him into this place. So, Narek, welcome to the Boardroom Banter podcast. It's an honor to have you here. How's everything going? Hey, thank you, boss. Uh, absolute pleasure to be here. And what an introduction. Um, now we need to keep it up on for the rest of the hour. Yeah, things are going well. You know, it's uh, coming up to a very nice spring in in Barcelona, uh, where where Globo is headquartered. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's a second year now. Um, we've been living here since moving from London, and you know, it's a fantastic place by the sea. Uh, two hours away from the mountains, so you can basically go for, in the same day from from the beach to skiing on the slopes. Not not many places in the world can offer that, and also the tech scene that's so uh, rapidly increasing here. That's beautiful, Narek. Thanks for filling us in. I have I have never been to Spain, but you know, with this network that we that we've just made right here with you, I'm probably planning my next vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but let me know if you need any tips or a physical industry industry tour. Um, but yeah, we appreciate you being here here with us, Narek. And as we get into this conversation, one of the interesting things that we've we've come to learn from from running this podcast over the past you know year and a half has been there's there's a large aspect of the work that our guests do and who they are today that's really built up around their conditioning and how they were cultured 
in in the most Im- immediate environments that they were surrounded in when when they were young and you know, likewise for for Yuri Sean and myself a lot of the aspects of about us that we are passionate about and that we love to show up and you know show out every single day has been formed by this early nurturing environments that we're in right so for instance I I talk as much as I do I'm very social you know because I grew up in a very big family you know in a very um, tight-knit neighborhood and so on and so forth I'd love for us to you know spend a couple of minutes speaking about about your early environments and your early upbringing Eric for us for us to understand who you are today and the work that you do what do we need to know about the early stages of your life when you know, these really fundamental aspects of who you are were being shaped, you know, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And what are some of these environments that you were, that you were in at the time? Yeah. Um, thanks, Bonifaz. That's such a, such an important question. Look, I, I was born in Armenia uh, just after the collapse of the Soviet Union and uh, in a tiny town with 20,000 people, you know, not, not, um, not a, great deal of opportunity around and also it was a time where Armenia was in a war with Azerbaijan and um, really when I think back to the beginning of my career and then the progression of my career it comes down to certain inflection points or maybe uh, luck or maybe being at the right place in the right time Um, first thing when I remember is when I went to school for the first time in the entire town of all the entry form you know the 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 first year um classrooms uh in a town there was only one class that was teaching english as a a third language so because the kids would learn armenian russian and then a foreign language my class was the only one that taught english all other classes taught french right and i think that was a strategic point very early on for me because as i started learning english it opened up so much of the world for me right from actually understanding what's going on in video games, whilst others try to guess and use dictionaries to figure out what was going on. And then the second step there was that there's this fantastic American organization called Peace Corps, um, Peace Corps Volunteers. And I remember my town, um, Goris in the south of Armenia, it, it, uh, there, were, there were a few of those volunteers helping schools and helping local NGOs. And the reason that my class was the only one that you know, had been taught English, they actually came and spent time with, with, with my classroom. And I was one of the very few people who was very keen, had the curiosity to stay after school and spend time with these people who were volunteering their time and their resources. Uh, then I started getting invited into events with them from, you know, Halloween celebrations to actual proper, you know, learning opportunities. And, and, and I really think thinking back, it's, it's having the curiosity and having the willingness to to say, hey, you know what? This is this sounds absolutely fascinating. I want to spend time with, with with these people, even though that might mean getting out of your comfort zone, which is which is scary, right? If you have to step into uh, a group that is totally unfamiliar, you know. And then um, going forward, I was you know uh, toward the end of school, I was very close to, you know. Um, applying to the state economics university because even though my dad had introduced me to um, software engineering because it was his hobby he was an electrical engineer but he liked coding in basic 
uh, when I was seven or eight, he, he basically gave me listings, handwritten listings of code and said, hey, type it, <laughs> essentially using me as a typing monkey at the time. But it, it just hooked me in. I was absolutely fascinated with, with, um, with you know, software engineering, coding technology. But having grown up in a little town in a country devastated after Soviet Union collapse in terms of economy um, right, and war, I couldn't even imagine that there would be opportunities for me to work as a as a software engineer. So that's why I was almost uh, going to apply to the, to the state in, uh, economics university. But then I was like, this is not my passion. Like this is this has nothing to do with what I like. I like to be in technology. And literally one one month to six weeks before I was I was meant to take exams. I switched, uh, I, I changed my decision. I said, I need to go to, to learn uh, computer science. And I went to, um, and then uh, accepted, uh, you know, a scholarship to State Engineering University, where I essentially um, kicked off my kind of computer science career. And furthermore, you know, continuing the theme of this uh, lucky or being in the right, uh, the right place at the right time, I was at computer science um, department of State University, State Engineering University, and there used to be um, a European company called Lycos Europe at the time, a German company um, having purchased a number of different companies across Europe. They would they would offer chats and email, hosting services. They had a big um, software engineering kind of outsourcing hub in in Yerevan, in the capital of Armenia, and second part of my first year studies at university they offered extracurricular lessons they basically started teaching to a group of interested people um things like html javascript then further into databases and object-oriented design and this was something that again i i basically put it in a, in a list of these inflection points of opportunities so i i i i went there and um i took the opportunity to learn those things and then what really truly made make a big made a big difference was second from second year of university, this company partnered with the university to create a separate specialization, which was called web technologies. And and what this meant was that from since I was 17, basically, because I went to uni at 16, since I was 17, I've been working full time. Essentially, what this what, what switching professions and specialization meant for me at the time, and I had didn't know before, was um I spent most of my uh, most of my week at this company, Lycos Europe, learning on the job and learning from some fantastic professionals. Um, and then followed, uh, you know, in my early 20s, doing a lot of business travel, uh, really meeting fantastic people across Europe and, and learning everything on the job. I, I really had to only pop into university maybe once a week for a couple of hours. And yeah, I, I would, again, going back, it's, it's, Having the curiosity to just step outside your comfort zone and say, you know what, I'm going to see what, what you know what this might offer to me. You know, when I when I hear your story, one thing that comes to mind is that of, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and the fact that a lot of times when you know I, I I've listened to a couple of interviews where they say that they were really lucky, and that they were born at the right time at the right place and you know that was around the time when when computers were starting to become normal place right so you could actually go somewhere and, and find a computer um 
be it be it as as it was you know in some of those cases you had to be in, you know certain privileged spaces to get that kind of access but you know it was that timing and that's also a, a thread I'm also seeing with yours it was that timing of your your dad had introduced you to this thing and um you know you you had certain tools around you that built up that curiosity one thing I'm really curious of because I mean I'm I'm 24 right now I, I was I was not there anywhere close to the time uh, when you had just started your career right um, not not to tell anyone you're you're, you're really old or anything <laughs> but uh <laughs> but but I'm really curious because even within the the span of my life I've seen technology change so dramatically right we went from the the cd player like the the walkmans uh, with wired earphones to airpods and iphones and you working in technology, you've seen this happen firsthand. So I'm really curious as to how you experienced those shifts in technology at the places where you were working and, and maybe how you learned new, maybe coding languages or how to um, create new interfaces and, and just build off of that up to where you are, where you're working in spaces that are relevant. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think Really, one of the big mottos that I try to drive my teams every time you know I, I pick up a new role or I have to coach a new team, it's always about not being dogmatic about processes and tools. Right, the world around us changes, um, technology changes, um, and I mean, there's so you know there's so many new tools become continuously available to do our jobs better and faster, and you know there there is there's all there's always you know people are always resisting change right not when it comes to you know upgrading to the new iphone um but when it comes to changing the behavior changing their day-to-day -day, there's always a big resistance right and i think it's super important for leaders to coach teams that we should never be dogmatic about processes and tools because delivering fast and changing and delivering you know bigger business impact and better outcomes and better customer experience and partner career experience that requires changing and using new technologies and yeah you're you're right um you know i remember the time that i got into software engineering when it, so if you think about something as basic as uh, messaging right people used to speak in chats People used to, you know, use IRCs and ICQ and, you know, this kind of, and then Yahoo Messenger came in, right? Now we have so much choice, you know, uh, so, so many, so many opportunities, everything is instant, real time. But I, I always tell the team to, anytime they're solving, solving problems, to look for the best tool for the job. Like, it's not about what we have, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, always, as a leader, you will always try to kind of reduce the variability in terms of tools and you know the choices that people have to do their job. But I always encourage uh, innovation, experimentation, where people can say, you know what, I know that we have this tool. I know that we use Kafka as a messaging queue, but I have this problem that I believe that this alternative might do a better job. I encourage them to test it out not go immediately and adopt the full scale, but test it out, come back and report in a truly scientific mindset, you know, develop the hypothesis, run a test and come back and say, you know what? Yes, our core 
messaging platform is Kafka, but we found that this alternative one performs better in these conditions, and we would like to advocate for, for the use of that. Um, and you know, and right now we're living in some fantastic times. Yes, I think the underlying social economic situation is a bit of a mess. Obviously, the war in you you know Ukraine um, keeps dragging on, and and but I think when you look into technology, you know, from obviously Gen AI, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be fair not to mention it. Uh, things like technologies like CRISPR, you know, editing nature, and and there is so much. There are so many things going on, uh, and also the marginal cost of energy continuing to going down, I really think the next decade or two are going to be incredible um, for, for people who, who want to, you know, start new new, new startups, do solve problems for, for, for humanity everywhere. I think it's going to be a fantastic decade. That's awesome, Narek. I, I agree with you as well. I feel like we are going to see a lot, a lot more rapid change, especially now, right? Because, because of just where where we are in the timeline of evolution, it looks, looks like things are really moving fast. And there's a, there's an article that you did for Delivery Hero, and you know there's a line that you mentioned that that really caught our attention, which was, you know, there's there's no such thing as a typical workday when experiencing hyper growth. And I found this fascinating because right now you're working with global, right, um, multi-category delivery platforms, right, but you have a lot, a lot of experience in the travel industry, right? With Expedia and, and Hotel.com. I'd love, to, I'd love to speak to you about the different parallels that you've observed when it comes to internal teams in adapting to this change. What are some key factors within the teams, right? And in managing these teams that you've noticed really plays a crucial role for getting the team on board and really adapting to this change and moving forward. I ask this because right after this call, I have a, <laughs> there's a module I'm doing in class, right? I have a class right after this. It's on leading change in you know, global organizations, right? And so you might be helping me out with my next, my next piece of coursework here in Harry. Yeah. But ideally, what's, what's the secret sauce to getting these teams to really hop on board? And are there, are there some similarities and differences when it comes to these two industries that you've worked in for a long time? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think when it comes to the industries, I think most of the places I had the opportunity to work at and deliver you know, tremendous value have been uh, B2C, right? Um, kind of providing experience for customers. Right now at Glovo, you know, Glovo is a four-sided marketplace. So we have customers on one side, partners, you know, restaurants, merchants on one side, we have couriers and we have uh, brands, you know, companies who advertise on global. So, but I think for me, throughout my career, it's always been about relentlessly being obsessed with customer experience, you know, user experience. And I think one thing that has always unified some of my most high performing teams has been the, the passion that they have for that, right? I think it's super important, you know, to, I have seen change many, many times, but I've seen that the teams that take change easier and are able to adapt much quicker are those that understand what problems are we solving here? How does the company make money? And how are we trying to make customers, couriers, partners' lives better, right? And 
look, there are there are many, um, you know, many change management processes, quarters, eight step change. You know, there are some fascinating, you know, books uh, or cartoons like Who Moved My Cheese that would give you an idea of what people feel. What people feel. What do you need to kind of uh, pay attention, pay attention to? But really, I think. As a leader, I always strive to create create an environment where you know people don't come, you know, don't start working on Monday and and say I can't wait for Friday, right? I think if we do that, then seriously, I think it's an if we don't do that, then seriously, it's an environment where five out of seven days of the week, you know, you are just sitting there and waiting for the weekend. Then we're doing something wrong, right? What that means is then people will not will be demotivated they wouldn't be as willing to adapt to change but if you if you really focus on creating an environment where people wake up monday morning and they are so energized and passionate to work with like-minded high energy you know high talent you know in, um, group of people to work with so i always try to create talent you know, have talent density in in the organization secondly give them opportunities to feel fulfilled, right? I think that's what matters. When you're working every day, you want to have opportunities to do, to do something that fulfills you, right? And also, the third thing is absolutely understand what they're, whatever they're doing, how that impacts the business overall and how that impacts customer, partner, career. I'm bringing Glovo as an example. Um, once you create that environment, then the rest is secondary in terms of how you adapt to change. I mean, there are many processes and tools. But, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos has a fantastic quote about agility being the ultimate, um, you know, um, value driver for a company. You know, others can, I think the way he puts it, others can copy your products and tools, but it's your reaction to change that that matters. You know, in, in the software engineering industry, we went from having very heavy processes, right, waterfalls and and, and such, to to operating using Scrum, Kanban, more agile, agile, agile methods. But it's not using one or the other that matters. You know, you can use some of the agile methods, but still be very heavy and very slow. I think what matters is um, Jorgen Apello has a very good concept of shapeshifters. Right, it's it's adapting to whatever the company needs right now at the right moment. It could be that yes, you need to use heavy processes because maybe you're building something that's very system critical. You know, if you're sending uh, if if you're sending a person <laughs> to space, then you might need to make sure that you have all your all your alternative cases covered, and you have to spend a lot more time on requirement analysis and definition. But if you are in a situation where none of that matters, you are just there to be the first one to create an experience to get insight from the market to evolve your MVP. Then you 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 would have to very quickly adapt your processes. Um, so Jurgen Apollo's concept of shape shifters essentially says it's the re it's it's how the team can very quickly change shape to adapt to the business priorities changing or the market realities. So. You know, I, I know I expanded a bit too long, but really it comes down to me of creating teams that are high in talent density, um, look forward to working with others and feel fulfilled. And then as a secondary layer, it would be having processes that allow them to shape shift very quickly. Perfect answer, Eric. Thank you so much. That's, that's a wonderful one. Sean, 
as a mm-hmm. as a graduate of this, of, this, <laughs> of this exact module that I was talking about. What are your comments on that? No, for sure, it's change management. Actually, was was one of my my favorite modules because it, it was so relevant. Actually, when when I was studying that, because it was I think we were in the midst of of COVID, right? So COVID had just happened. Uh, you know, we had remote classes. Everything was up and about. So there was lots of great case studies that you know we could use. Um, specifically even just looking at the organization itself, the university and how they had to adapt to the changes and, you know, f- for the, for better or for worse. So that, that's a really relevant conversation. And, and I'm glad that Narek, you touched on that. And so, you know, while, while you were speaking, one thing, one thing came to mind, which is a book that we've all been reading here in, in the boardroom. So we've been reading um, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And, you know, it's, it's a great book for anyone who doesn't know on basically how do you, how do you really innovate, right? And, and build something that's truly new and that can go out into the world and, and create some sort of change and et cetera, and leverage technology to do that. One thing that I noticed about the industry that you're in is finding Finding product market fit is is a really important thing, especially when you're dealing with twenty plus countries, right? So, so Glovo, I'm assuming, does not necessarily have a one size fits all approach to how you enter different markets. Um, you know, this competition left, right, and center. Everyone is trying to grab a piece of the cake. So, one thing that I had read in that book, and I and I want to just hear your comments on, is is how do you how do you actually build a product that Number one solves a problem, but also is able to establish some sort of niche or some sort of competitive advantage in order to actually grow and and, and start to to make some money. I'm really curious as to how you guys did that because an interesting anecdote that Peter Thiel wrote about in his book is that you know basically you're saying competition is not is it's bad, you know, in the sense that it it erodes and eats away at at your profits as a company. So I'm I'm curious to hear what your you guys' attitude is about competition um, over at Glovo and what you guys are really doing to escape that and, and chart your own path. No, it's um, you know, I've 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 uh, I've not read the book, but I've heard a lot of really good things about 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 the book. I think, Alexa, it's. I mean, it's quite different, right? If you start if you're starting something new versus if you have a significant business, and then you are thinking about innovation. I think uh, most of the companies, you know, it's always the uh, you know it's a dilemma. What pot? You know, where do you where, what do you do? You know, uh, where do you where do you invest? I think, like you mentioned, we are right now at global in twenty five markets, right? And those markets. Uh, vary very significantly. Yes, we are in Spain, we're in Portugal, we're in places like Romania and Poland, but we're also in Kenya, we're in Cotivar, Ghana, we're in Georgia, Armenia. And then, um, you know, the markets and the reality in local markets are very, very different, right? Um, from both from a customer perspective, from partner perspective, uh, many of the restaurants and merchants in 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 certain countries might be very open to uh, to collaborating, and it's much easier to onboard them. Versus, 
in certain markets, it could be kind of quite a barrier and the, the barriers are higher in order to put them onto, onto the platform. And also when I look at, for example, uh, couriers and how they use the app and, and um, nuances like geography, right? I remember I was, uh, last year I was in Nairobi and everywhere I travel when, where we operate, I, I go on, uh, uh, we, we call them a global, we call them global cares. So we let employees do deliveries and for every delivery, we donate a certain amount of money to, to, to charity. So I was doing Global Cares, what we call Global Cares in Nairobi, um, with a courier. And, you know, the, the, the local nuances of calling the customer and saying, hey, I'm on my way, or trying to identify the addresses, they were so complicated. You know, I think what we try to do at Global is, yes, the concept is the same, right, of, of ordering something and getting it delivered. But the local habits, local nuances, I think we're trying always to get that feedback. That's why I encourage my team, um, our directors of engineering, our staff engineers, principal engineers to travel across the country to we operate in to understand how do we how do we really figure out what is that? What are the small uh, problems and small issues that are inhibiting um, yeah, customers or couriers or partners? When it comes to, you know, it, innovation and 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 looking at alternative verticals you know i think we we tend to think about it as a using the 70 20 10 approach you know 70 percent of my team and our tech team and our resources really go into protecting the core and enhancing our core experiences 20 percent would be going into some experiments that we tried and they're successful and we keep enhancing those and then with 10 percent of our capacity we're trying to do different experiments uh, in different markets and and see what you know what really works in those markets but i'm you know with you um when when you're trying something new i think i have seen many times perhaps ideas fail because people take so much time and so much energy put into designing something without really trying to get a read from the market without putting it in front of the customers and saying do you like it or not or it's the other extreme where People take, I guess, ask so many questions to potential consumer groups and customer groups that they create a consumer scientist mindset, right? Essentially, you know, like Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they need, they would have said faster horse, right? So I think it's it's, it's the you have to have to have the right balance. Yes, it's important to ask, you know, take that opinion from consumers, but from more from not directly asking, but from observing, like. I'm more of a fan of observing customer behavior, a consumer behavior, seeing what are they doing? You know, what time of day do they, do they use Global? Why are they using? What are they ordering? Um, and then seeing if you can be making that experience even better. You know, taking insights from watching them rather than asking them directly. Because I think oftentimes, you know, consumers formulate what they need in a way that leads you uh, working on the wrong, wrong functionality, I would say. So more of a data-driven approach to, yeah. Then now deciding, okay, where where should we allocate our capacity to based on what our our consumers are enjoying or or, or their habits, right? Yeah. If 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 you look at you know again going back to global, our consumer funnel. Obviously, you open the app, you log in, or you're already logged in. Uh, you search. So all that consumer consumer funnel. 
we we look at tools, uh, you know, tools like Amplitude, and we can see where do people drop off? Are there any points that essentially are barriers to consumers? And similarly for career for partner side, we try to identify what are those hurdles and, and continuously try to innovate to remove those, right? And, um, and very, very similar, similarly as well, instead of uh, running surveys and directly ask them, uh, asking certain questions, hey, what would you like us to build next? I think it's more what we do and what I encourage the teams to do. We go um, spend time with our par partners, we spend time with our couriers and customers and watch them how they use global and then take learnings from that instead of directly, directly asking them questions. Narek, we have quite a number of entrepreneurs who listen to our episode and hearing you say this uh, for us, you know, Sean, myself, Yuri as entrepreneurs ourselves, it gives, us, it gives us a lot of comfort knowing that there's certain basics and fundamentals that will never change regardless of, of which stage your, your venture is in, right? And it's small things like, right, if you want to experiment, put it in front of the customer, get feedback, iterate. That's the only way to iterate, Right. Um, when it comes to managing teams, I think that's one of the the biggest challenges that all three of us have experienced individually before we even came to do the podcast together. You know, how how do we build a relationship with the people who work with us, right? And I heard you mention something very interesting about, you know, your employees and what you do every time you visit the different places that Glovo is based. And it takes us back to, one thing that we picked up in our research about you, which is the office hours that you host with your teams, right? And you know, creating this environment in the workspace, and you touched on, on it earlier, right? Creating an environment where people want to be in the office, people want to engage, and people want you know, to be there because Glover is going to give them that feeling of fulfillment. And a, a large aspect of this goes down to the managers within the companies. How do you run your teams in your department, ETC, ETC? I'd be very curious to to hear what value such you know internal norms like office hours those those interpersonal relationships that you build what has that done for you as as a manager right how how has this either challenged or validated your leadership approach because that's that's the biggest takeaway that we came out with in our startups that didn't work out Right, we either didn't go about managing each other well as peers building a startup together, or we look at organizations where these norms and traditions are not being emphasized enough or being implemented effectively by the managers. What has what has you doing these office hours and you building these relationships? What has that done for you as a manager? How has that influenced your leadership style? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. But I think what I what I believe in is leaders being approachable, right? And I think if you if you couple that with the fact that in organization, in my organization, myself, we have people with experience, right? And we need to make sure that people with experience are very close to the engineering teams that are doing the work day to day. You know, my organization right now is like 700 plus people in engineering and data. And we have a few principal engineers who have seen and worked on many, many big problems. 
And what I try to do is not just in, not just have information traveling through the uh, regular hierarchy, right? I want to make sure that we have opportunities to shake the trees uh, because information is is uh, in organization is quite spread quite in an asymmetric way, right? We may have certain people that have solved certain problems in the past that we're solving now, but they're very, but they're very far from from that problem. So what I try to do is create forums, whether that's office hours, uh, breakfast, get togethers, or that's um, what we run. We run every two weeks a technology execution review where I bring everyone, all the leaders together and, and, and they basically talk about what problems they're solving and where they might be stuck. This is all for making sure that you know, the knowledge and experience and information is transferred from, from one side to the other. You know, we don't want to have, um, you know, pockets of, of groups of people who are very experienced and, 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 and they have a lot, a lot to share. Um, and then the rest of the organization, you know, relying on either, you know, their experimentation or, or learning from, you know, learning from Google or ChatGPT. <laughs> I, always believe in again coming back to me I, I i believe in being approachable um there is no hey i'm sitting in my ivory tower on a, on a on a seat and and i'm just you know dictating priorities and, and and checking that we're making progress no i want to be there and and what it gives me is it also helps me identify talent with high potential People that are up and coming, people that really understand, you know, a few layers down, you know, I've, I've I've seen in the last two years people within Global who really truly care, and they're passionate, they understand our business, and then I try to make sure that they have appropriate career development plans, that they're in, involved in the right forums, for forums, and really as they become the um, culture culture champion, you know, with high business acumen, with fantastic skills, I think it's 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 very very important. And what I do is I also have um, kind of ad hoc lunch or coffee or uh, one to ones with them where I would encourage them to defy the status quo. I think that's that's really um, that status defying the status quo is something that I've been very passionate about for pretty much all my career. I have seen oftentimes uh, some of my colleagues leave um, certain companies or join a company where you are expected to behave the, the way everyone else is behaving. And that oftentimes that drives you to not defying, not challenging the status quo. Instead, I try to encourage people to do that. Because if everyone says, let, let me bring a good example. You know, it's it's very, in software engineering, estimation has been, uh, you know, a difficult topic for, for a very long time, you know, uh, requirements being put in front of the engineering team and they're saying, yeah, it's going to take six months. And then that's about it. I think 50% of the times it, it might take more. Sometimes it might take less. Um, what I'm looking for is people who are able to stand up and challenge that status quo and say, hey, what if we change, the, we bend this requirement slightly differently, and then we can actually deliver it in two months. I think those are people who are really, truly the accelerators in the organization. I'm constantly on a, on, on a lookout to find, uh, to, to find them. One, one. Well, key... I hope that answered your question. Yeah, for sure. W one key phrase that you used there is is culture champions. I I like that phrase because 
within within every organization there's there's certain people who you know if not given the right resources or encouragement or support you know the the fire that they have and the their ability to really catalyze change and and just build awesome stuff can often be lost you know if if they're not really recognized as the culture champions that they are so that's awesome and and also you know when i think about it in in a reverse sense of how how can i in the spaces that i'm working in you know increase my worth or or increase my ability to be recognized and and rewarded as well and and extend my career longevity uh, what i've picked up on there is you know be a culture champion like understand w- what is the culture of this place i'm working in and you know really standing for that in terms of high quality work that reflects it and um yeah just championing that i i, I love that i'm i'm really i hope anyone who's listening has really had that one as as a as a career hack um but anyway narek i'm i'm curious about one thing we're coming to the end of this conversation and you know it really strikes me that you're someone who is looking into the future and trying to build it today so i'm curious you know with with the knowledge that you have and the visibility also of the tech ecosystem and the world at large what are some trends or technologies or developments that are exciting to you like you wake up and you're thinking about this thing or at work you can't wait to work on certain types of 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 projects what what's exciting in in narex world right now thanks it's a it's, a, it's another cool question i think i touched upon it um earlier in a conversation in terms of gen ai and crispr um i think generally ai is 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 going to um you know go go so far in so many places and industries that it's it's is going to be kind of the, the dominant um tool going forward and everyone is trying to adapt all the business models and, and processes and tools see how you know how they can use it to their advantage you know if you look at many companies um pnls there are significant cost centers you know be that customer operations um be that you know third-party vendors and what have you and i think all the companies are going to be looking into how can they drive further efficiency by by using uh, gen ai and um you know platforms like chat gpt to uh, to further uh, make it more efficient i think the way i view view it is obviously there is one all the exciting technologies and the other one is where is the role for humans in that right and i think there's it could be put in it could be put in a bad connotation and i've been reading some articles that say basically humans will be replaced abc you know i think i i tend to think about not human versus ai but humans being made infinitely more powerful you know with ai it's almost like iron man and jarvis um kind of uh, context that that comes and that's how i i explain it to my son and my my 8 year old i think really when i think about you know tomorrow if i go to to a school and speak to kids about the future you know talk about ai you know editing genome and drones and you know space exploration and what have you but i think it's important to know that yes 
what what's going to be important for humans, you know, for for kids of today, uh, for the future, is to develop and focus on really mental elasticity. You know, being able to solve complex problems. Um, it's not going to be, hey, I'm just a coder, and maybe twenty years from now I will still have a job. No, I think it's going to ha- it's going to be very important to for people to develop our uh, develop interdisciplinary knowledge and grow as T shape. Right. Yes, you might come from a particular background, but in order to be successful in the future with all the technologies that are coming up, I think you have to grow um, as a T-shaped kind of person or leader where you're able to bring different concept, you know, concepts from different places that maybe AI could not relate together. And then maybe with help, help of AI create something new. So I think what excites me the most is the possibility there, what's going to be possible once you have people that are able to, you know, they come from, a, they understand software engineering, they understand biology, and they understand AI and CRISPR. I think then you might be in a position where to create something exceptional that will help us, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm super passionate about space exploration and stuff. And I, I, I do believe that very soon we're going to be in a place where we can travel long distances and, 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 you know, engineer possibly humans that can travel long distances and, and get us to Alpha Centauri or, or, or somewhere similar. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're fellow space geeks then because I'm, I'm always watching videos about uh, space stuff. I, I think that's that's one thing very few people know about me. Like I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how can we go to Mars? Um, and, and even a more existential question is, why are we trying to leave this planet and, and not fix it first? Or, or, or like, do we just abandon ship? Anyway, that's, that, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, in that same regard, we are coming to the end of our episode today and we like to do a really fun segment to basically wrap up with you. So we call this the elevator segment and it's a couple of quick fire questions that will shoot your way. And so, so picture this, right? We've had this awesome conversation in the boardroom and now we're leaving, right? You're about to enter the elevator to go down, hop into your car and you know go back to, to saving the world. But just as you're entering, you know, an intern stops you in the in the elevator and has a couple of quick fire questions because they're obsessed with you. So are, are you ready to step into the elevator? Yeah, let's go. I'm curious. Awesome. awesome. So the first question is, who is your role model and why? Ooh, um, very difficult quick fire question. Um, yeah. I can't say I've, oh, I've had one role model. Um, mm. I think I, throughout different uh, parts of my, my career, I've had different combination of role models. Right. Really. Yeah. But I would say, um, I, I would say I have a combination of, I don't know if listeners uh, like sports, but a combination of, I would say, Roger Federer and Alex Ferguson. You know, nice. I really like the demeanor and the calmness uh, that that Roger, uh, uh, you know, uh, radiates on on the court and the winning mentality. You know, still being a winner there, 
and then in terms of the energy and relentless and want to win uh, of, of Alex Ferguson. I would say that the combination, you know, putting technology and everything aside and in terms of a leadership, motivation and role model, I would bring the combination of these two. I love it. Federer is ice cold, like a serious executor. I think that's a word that comes to mind. Like he's just such a, he's almost robotic, uh, but really accomplished sportsman. That's a good choice. Second question would be, what's what's an an idea or opinion that you have that maybe few people actually agree with you on you know what comes to mind immediately is um i guess two things one is prices law right i don't know if you're familiar um but if if you're not then what it says is 50% of the outcome of uh, a team of an organization is delivered by a square root of the number of people uh, involved. So I think, especially when you think about the current economic, uh, you know, downturn and companies trying to optimize, optimize, you know, their PNL, their, their teams and reduce costs. Mm. If you think that 50% of the outcome of the company is produced only by square root of the number of people involved, that, that poses a lot of questions, right? You know, mm. it's, it doesn't have an immediate answer, but it's an opinion that people, you know, that teams could be running a lot more efficiently, and I don't have the right answer how to how to approach that. So, so that's a that's what you believe that fifty percent of 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 the outcomes and deliverables or or impact of a company is driven by us yes. square root of their total. That that's what you believe. I believe in that. Yeah, um, doesn't mean that I don't value the rest of the people involved i just think that right. from an organizational overhead process point of view right companies and teams tend to be not organized efficiently to drive more value that's a that's great an interesting we'll, one we'll need to invite you back for an, for another <laughs> session <laughs> anytime <laughs> pleasure being here nice um Narek, i have i have two questions as well um the first one what's a life lesson that your parents tried to teach you that you learned that you had to learn the hard way. Ooh. I got you right there, didn't I? That, that's you, you so did. existential. <laughs> that's the one I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> learned the hard way. Um I I really think that maybe it's kind of not taking things for granted. Um you know, like I said, growing up in a country that was, you know, in a tough economic place in a war. And, you know, I, I'd like to think that I, I took the lesson, but every now and then something happens that realized that, you know, I realized maybe I should have paid more attention to this. Nice. Since that was a bit of a tricky one, I'll give you an easy one this time. Um, we're seeing a bookshelf right behind you filled with so many books what's uh what's a book that you're currently reading right now or the most recent one that you've read that you'd advise our listeners to definitely check out our recommendation to you is zero to one maybe to you yeah i i i made a made a made a note i'll check it out look i think one book i would definitely recommend uh, and i'll explain why i think especially to managers and leaders we do so much communication Right. And people who want to pitch ideas, like so much communication. And at times, um, you know, we regret immediately, you know, one hour later that we could have done a better job. 
And I think this book called Made to Speak by Dan and Chip No, um, sorry, uh, by by Chip and Dan Heath. I think it's 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 you know absolutely fantastic. It just explains to you how to communicate, how to put things in you know in a context that would cause kind of a bit of a shock for people to realize how meaningful what you're what you're communicating is. And this um, helped helped me um, in many many conversations. And this is something that I. Uh, even like the PDF summary version that I have of this, I share with my team every time we have to do a company presentation about something engineering related, which is very difficult, right? To communicate engineering related metrics to the rest of the company. I always kind of bring the example or the cheat sheet from, from this book to um, to help help drive that message forward. And I absolutely recommend. Awesome. Reading. Thank you so much, Narek. This has been a lovely session with you in the boardroom. I really appreciate your time and, you know, just your insights because a lot of times we take the platforms that we use on a day-to-day for granted and we don't realize that these people are working super hard in the background, just like yourselves to make sure our experiences as, as customers are fruitful. So I really hope that anyone who's listening, who is running a business, thinking of starting one or is working in one, has at least taken something, be it how to be a super effective, you know, part of the change and culture of a company to how to actually build something that's competitive and that can scale. Uh, and 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 also just leveraging the skills that you have in the time that you're in to, to really make a change. So thank you, Narek. We've, we've learned so much. And to everyone who's listening to us, if this is your first time with us in the boardroom, welcome. These are the kinds of conversations that we have every Tuesday. Guests like Narek, the CTO of Glovo. Um, we love to talk to doers and thinkers in a lot of industries. So if you have anyone you want us to speak to, let us know. And we'll definitely shoot our shot and have them on the podcast ASAP. Anyway, we hope that you have Thanks a fantastic for- week. And to all our listeners, keep on doing, keep on thinking. Go forth and be great. See you on the flip side.